Andrew Nemhard's little brother, Ryan, a star point guard at Creighton, is in the NCAA transfer portal. Could the Zags secure the whole family tree? We'll discuss Nemhard's chances of coming to Spokane and another Power 5 card who Mark Few's team reached out to right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Roadmap for today, we are closing out the show with a long-awaited look at the Gonzaga baseball team, talking about how their non-conference season went, what is coming up for them in the regular season as they take on the San Diego Toreros this weekend. We're going to talk about LJ Cryer in the second segment, a Baylor guard that Gonzaga fans are likely pretty familiar with, having seen him play against the Zags a few times. He's in the portal, and we know Gonzaga has reached out, so we'll talk about his potential fit in Spokane. But we're leading the show talking about Ryan Nemhard, this folks, for those of you who are listening to the show shortly after it came out, this just broke. This is news that uh, changed the trajectory of the podcast. We were going to lead with LJ Cryer, but we're bumping him to segment two so we can talk about Ryan Nemhard. Most of you are familiar, of course, all of you are familiar with Andrew Nemhard. Ryan Nemhard is Andrew's younger brother. Uh, he went to the same high school. He went to Creighton out of high school, or uh, yes, yeah, excuse me, out of high school, has been with the Blue Jays for the past two seasons. He started every game he has played with Creighton. That is 64 total games. He dealt with an injury in his first season that cost him the, the NCAA tournament, cost him some opportunities to play down the stretch for that team. Uh, but he played for them this entire year and helped lead that team all the way to an Elite Eight, a fantastic performance for Greg McDermott's team in the Blue Jays. And, and that has kind of caused some reaction i suppose uh, we were we've already seen a handful of really high profile players from high fro- high profile programs enter the portal i think a lot of times when you see players enter the portal from programs like duke or kentucky or kansas or whomever they're players who weren't playing all that much even uh, the case in point for gonzaga obviously hunter salas was a, a a big part of what gonzaga did last year but he was not a starter efton reed dominic harris kind of fit that trajectory of guys you for lack of a better term, expect to see enter the portal, or at least you aren't as surprised. Hunter Dickinson is kind of the, the opposite end of that spectrum. Same with Kirk Creesa, who recently announced he is going to uh, West Virginia to play for Bob Huggins. And Nemhard falls in that category as well. 34 minutes per game last year, the starting point guard for one of the, at times last year, 15, 10 best teams in the country, a team that finished in the Elite Eight, a team that I just recently projected to be a top 10 team starting next season with the assumption that Ryan Nemhard would be back. Uh, statistically, a look at Nemhardt, he's averaged 12 points per game, four and a half assists, three and a half rebounds, and just about a steal. Uh, for his career in the last two seasons at Creighton, he shot just over 47% on two-pointers. He has shot just under 34% from three, and he's about 82% from the free throw line. Worth pointing out on that three-point percentage, his freshman year, he was 31.1%. And this past season as a sophomore, he shot 35.6%. Kind of like his brother. His brother continued to improve as a three-point shooter throughout his collegiate career and is now a very good three-point shooter at the next level, despite that being one of the things that was kind of working against him from a scouting perspective uh, heading into the NBA. So Ryan Nemhard, three-point shooting, improving four percentage points from his freshman year to his sophomore year is pretty darn significant. In terms of other programs involved, 
this just happened. You know, when we're going to talk about LJ Cryer, we're going to give you a list that it's, I'm not going to be able to get through in one breath, just like we did with Taron Armstrong and like we've done with Steel Venters and a handful of other transfer transfer portal players that we've talked about. But with Nemhard, we haven't seen that list yet. However, we know of one program that is interested. And in fact, part of the reason we're trying to push this out shortly after the news came out is because there is a chance that it is reported that Ryan Nemhard agrees to join Arizona very shortly because that is the rumor. That is what people are talking about. There are Creighton accounts right now that are already tweeting. As soon as we heard that Nemhard entered the portal that are already saying, we need to look at Tommy Lloyd and for tampering. We need to investigate Arizona. We need to do blah, 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 blah. To which my response to those people would be, what, what rules do you think that he is violating? And I think we could have a, a larger conversation about whether there should be rules around perhaps what may have transpired here, but, there, but there's not. So trying to come after Lloyd and Arizona and anybody else for, for tampering or for, for doing it's just it's not against the rules. It's not, it's not something you can't do. Again, perhaps there's a larger conversation about that, but there's not anything that anybody can do about the fact that Ryan Nemhard knows Tommy Lloyd, that Tommy Lloyd recruited Andrew to come to Gonzaga in the first place. And so there is already a familiarity and a relationship there. There is nothing that anybody can do about the fact that Ryan Nembhard is clearly aware that Arizona needs a point guard with Kirk Risa having committed to West Virginia. All of that is just information that exists. If Ryan Nembhard took all that information, thought, wow, I could go play at Arizona where they're expected to return both Umar Balo and Azulis Tubelis. There is no guarantee either of those guys could jump ship to the NBA. They could enter the transfer portal. They could go play professionally overseas. I expect them both to be back. And I think if you're Nembhard, you look at that and you think that, you know, I want to play for Tommy, a coach that, you know, he's probably heard very good things about from Andrew. Uh, and so you can't prevent that from happening. And I don't know what conversations have or have not happened by the time I'm recording this, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably changed entirely. So I think that Ryan Nembhard to Arizona is a very, very obvious fit. I mean, it's very obvious. Just looking at it, it doesn't take rocket scientists to acknowledge, hey, Kirk Creesa maybe wasn't the guy for Arizona. Ryan Nemhard is a better facilitator. He's not quite as consistent of a three-point shooter, but he's, a, a, I think, a better decision maker with the basketball. And him moving into an offense like Arizona's with the depth that they have in the front court, I think would make them instantly very, very good. Other programs that could be involved here, Florida recruited Ryan Nemhard out of uh, undergrad. Of course, Andrew Nemhard began his collegiate career at Florida. Uh, he also transferred from Florida. I don't know how much the animosity was there and whether that would impact Ryan's decision to potentially look at that school. Of course, new coaching staff there. I could see Todd Golden making a big push here. Uh, Stanford also recruited Ryan Nemhard out of high school. No idea if they would be involved here necessarily as a program that hasn't really done a whole lot in the last couple of years. Let's talk about the Gonzaga of it, though, because, yes, Arizona makes a lot of logical sense for Ryan Nembhard. But most of the reasons that, that Arizona makes sense also apply to Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a high-paced offense. Creighton finished 215th, or excuse me, 143rd, 143rd in tempo last year per Ken Palm. Gonzaga was 39th, and they are usually higher than that. All expectations in a post-Drew Timmy era are that Gonzaga is going to get out in transition even more. You know who was elite at getting out in transition? Andrew Nembhard. You know who was also elite at getting out in transition? Ryan Nembhard. Bringing him in, having him facilitate that offense, get the Zags out, becoming more of that run-and-gun NBA-style offense, a little less reliant on half-court offense, low-post sets. I think it would be a nice way to 
transition out of, of what I am going to call the Drew Timmy era, because I don't know that uh, a player has ever had such an impact in a four-year period of time to, to really earn the era moniker. And I think Drew Timmy has, and I think now is a time for the Zags to explore potentially doing things a little bit differently. Ryan Nemhard would absolutely help with that. Can he coincide with Nolan Hickman? Those are questions the Zags would have to answer. I think Hickman would, would kind of play more of an off-ball role. I think that actually fits him pretty well. I think that this offense would be better for Nembhard from a t- statistical perspective. So I think there's a lot to like here. I think this would be a slam dunk opportunity for the Zags to add a high-level guard onto their team, a player with multiple years of eligibility, a player who I think would turn into an NBA player out of Gonzaga just like his brother did. Are they more appealing than Arizona? That's a question that Ryan Nembhard is going to have to answer because I think both schools are going to be heavily involved here. I think this could end up happening very quickly. We'll see how much shelf life this episode even has. But uh, Nemhard and Gonzaga worked really well the first time. See no reason why it wouldn't work again with Ryan. Well, Nemhard is going to be Gonzaga, many Gonzaga fans' dream transfer portal addition for good reason. But plucking a 15-point-per-game score from Baylor would be an excellent consolation prize. More on LJ Cryer, who the Zags have already contacted in the transfer portal, coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The NBA playoffs are very, very close to being here, so now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. It is America's number one sportsbook, and new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That is bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scorers and threes drained. Maybe you like DeMontis Sabonis to keep putting up triple doubles for the Sacramento Kings. Maybe you like Zach Collins in his new starting role with the Spurs to keep up the high production. Maybe you want to make an exclusive bet like Corey Kispert hitting two threes in his first three minutes of Washington's next game. Plus, FanDuel will even let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on today to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Myself and co-host Isaac Shade just released our way too early preseason top 10. Uh, Creighton was on the list. I think they're going to already be bumped off the list after likely losing uh, Ryan Empire to the portal. Either way, check out the show. It is available five times per week. Uh, it is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, like I said, the original plan for Thursday's episode of Locked on Zags was to lead talking about LJ Cryer. We were trying to come up with funny puns to use as the title for the YouTube thumbnail, but now we're going to be talking about Nemhard for that. We're talking LJ Cryer here in segment number two. Another player that I suspect most Gonzaga fans are familiar with, at least almost every Gonzaga fan out there has at least seen him play once, as they would have seen him play in that Gonzaga-Baylor game in Sioux Falls, South Dakota this year. Uh, Evan Miyakawa does fantastic transfer portal rankings if you have not checked out his website is evanmia.com he has lj cryer currently seventh among available guards in the transfer portal as i am recording this by the time you're listening to this that list may have changed entirely Uh, he's behind ryan nemhard he's actually behind hunter salas but he's right in that conversation i think salas is sixth so kind of right right in there 
Cryer's played three years already for Scott Drew and the Bears, 70 total games for them. Uh, last year was his first year being a full-time starter. He started a handful of games as a sophomore, but last year he really ballooned into that role. 31 games, 31 starts for the Bears. Played 32 minutes per game, 15 points, two and a half board, or excuse me, 2.1 boards, 2.1 assists. Shot just almost exactly 50% on two-pointers and shot 41.5% from three and 89% from the free throw line. In fact, for LJ Cryer in the last three years, he is a career 42.5% three-point shooter. And that is while averaging five three-point attempts per game. Even dating back to when he was a role player as a freshman, Cryer has averaged five three-point attempts per game and knocks him down about 43% of the time. That is tremendous. And that is the reason amongst a handful of other things, but that is the biggest reason that the list of schools that have reached out to LJ Cryer is big. And it is a list of prominent, prominent programs. I'll give you the list here right now. Kansas, Texas, Kansas State, Houston. We'll talk about them momentarily. Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Nebraska, Illinois, Clemson, Mizzou, Indiana, Arkansas, and LSU. That is a list of power, power five programs, some that are, you know, six, more successful right now than others. But when your list starts with Kansas, Texas, and Kansas State, and Houston, quite honestly, you know that you're looking at a list of very, very excellent programs. But Gonzaga right in the mix here as well. I think Texas, I, I don't, or excuse me, Houston might be the front runner right now. The latest that we're hearing again, as I'm recording this right now, is that Cryer is going to take an official visit to Kelvin Sampson's program. He's happy that they're interested in him because they also recruited him out of high school. He went to high school in Katy, Texas, so he would be close to home. He would get a chance to stay in his home state, play in the same conference as the as Houston, of course, transitions into the Big 12. Houston lost Marcus Sasser to the NBA draft. Tremont Mark has entered the NCAA transfer portal. There's a lot of legs here potentially from LJ Cryer going to Houston. But he would be a very, very ideal addition for the Zags as well. There is familiarity on both sides. Obviously, Gonzaga has seen him. He has seen Gonzaga. Uh, the offensive firepower at Gonzaga is bigger. I think we mentioned uh, in the last one that uh, Creighton's pace was 149th, I believe. Baylor's is 215th. So for a guy whose primary skill is scoring, and there are some some limitations for LJ Cryer, which we'll talk about momentarily. But for a guy who the biggest thing that he does is put the ball in the hoop, playing for a team that has significantly more possessions like Gonzaga makes a lot of sense. A 15 point per game scorer at Baylor when he had to share the love with Keontae George, who of course is now uh, in the NBA draft process. He had to share the love with Adam Flagler. I think coming to Gonzaga where he's currently looking at the roster, maybe not going to share as much love. Like I think if LJ Cryer were to commit to Gonzaga right now, and we were starting to put together what that roster would look like, you would pencil him in as the leading scorer for this team next season. I think he would be that guy. It'd be him, Anton Watson, assuming he comes back, would be in that conversation. Malachi Smith, assuming he comes back, would be in that conversation. It would change if Julian Strother were to come back. I am not projecting that to be the case, but Hey, you never know if in that case, but if Cryer were to, were to come to Gonzaga, I think you'd project him to be the starting, the leading scorer. And I'm guessing, hoping at least that that's the pitch 
That's the pitch that few or Michelson or Gentry or Powell, whoever is out there speaking to LJ Cryer is making. Like, come to our program, be on a, a team that has consistently finished in the top five in offensive efficiency year after year after year, and be our guy, be our leading scorer. Of course, questions reside. Same kind of questions we had with Brian Nempard. Can LJ Cryer and Nolan Hickman coexist? LJ Cryer is six foot one. He is undersized. If he starts alongside Nolan Hickman, and you kind of have two guards who aren't significant point guards. Like Ryan Nemhart is a facilitator. He averages five assists per game. LJ Cryer, he has a career 1.6 assists to 1.3 turnovers per game. He's not a facilitator. That's not his role. I don't think Gonzaga would ask him to be that role. So he would be playing an off-ball role for the Zags. That would put Nolan Hickman back into the driver's seat as the starting point guard unless they make another addition or unless they decide to switch things up and bring Malachi Smith into that role, which I don't think is going to happen. So that kind of creates a bit of a, a unique dynamic. You have two undersized guards, neither who are elite facilitators. I'm not sure how exactly that would work. I think they'd figure it out, and I don't think it would necessarily be bad. But it would be it would take some time for them to kind of put those pieces together in a way that works, coexists on the offensive end. And then there's the defensive issue. LJ Cryer's defensive numbers are not great. He doesn't get a ton of steals. He's adequate at it. He's not big, so he, his size doesn't really create a significant advantage for him. Uh, he's very athletic, so I think he's gonna he he will get by certainly in the WCC. I think we'll see him be able to be a little bit more physical, a little bit more kind of out athlete some of the people that he plays against. Uh, but I'm not sure that him and Hickman combined do enough defensively. And Gonzaga really, I mean, I think the priority for them this this offseason, this portal season, is to is to add impactful defensive players. Because Mark Few can make a lot of he can make an offense work, even if the pieces are not elite. Certainly you want good offensive players on your team, but I trust his coaching ability to turn decent offensive players into good or great offensive players much better than I trust his ability to get the most out of players on the defensive end of the floor. So adding players who already have that defensive instinct maybe is the better move for the Zags. LJ Cryer, elite three-point shooter, elite scorer in general, not necessarily a player who adds a ton on that end of the floor. And when you factor him in alongside Malachi Smith, who is a good defensive player, but would be then tasked with being like the best defensive guard with Nolan Hickman, who is fine on that end, but not great with Dusty Stromer, who I think could develop into a good defensive player, but I'd be lying if I expected him to come in and, and immediately be a good perimeter defensive player. Most freshmen aren't. And that's not exactly, you know, the top of the, of the, um, uh, scouting report, excuse me. And that's not the top of the scouting report for Dusty Stromer right now is his defense. So I don't think that that's going to be an, an impactful part of his game right away. So that's the only issue with Cryer, and it's a bit of an issue with Nemhart as well, although I, th I trust him a little bit more on that end. But uh, perhaps, and, and we'll talk about some other players in future episodes, Severe Wheeler is still available. There's a lot of things I don't love about Severe Wheeler's fit at Gonzaga, but man, is he a good perimeter defensive player, and that might be enough to convince Gonzaga to at least take a close look at it. Uh, there are other guards that are going to be in this conversation as well as we continue to kind of chat about prospects uh, or about transfer portal additions and, and what those pieces might look like for Gonzaga. But LJ Cryer, fantastic score, immediately comes in and becomes Gonzaga's likely front runner to be their leading scorer were he to commit to Spokane. But there would be some issues that the Zags would have to figure out on the defensive end of the floor. 
All right, switching away from talking about the transfer portal and these potential additions for the Zags, we're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about the Gonzaga baseball program that started off kind of slow but has picked up the pace in conference play. More on that coming up right after this. All right, segment three, still in the patent, still locked on Zag. Switching gears to close out the show, talking about the Gonzaga baseball program. They're off to a hot start in conference play. They just recently swept the Dons of San Francisco at home. That was March 17th through the 19th. That opened up WCC play with a clean sweep. You love that. They went on the road to take on the waves of Pepperdine the following weekend, took two of three from them. Then they got to host the Cougars, BYU, final time as a member of the WCC that the BYU Cougars come to Spokane. Gonzaga handed them two losses, took two out of three again from the Cougars. Uh, the Zags have now won 12 straight series. That is incredible. 12 straight series. The last time they lost a series in the WCC was against San Diego in 2021. That's the last time they lost a series. They won every single series last year. They've won all three of the series they have played so far this season. So again, not all of them sweeps. Only one of these three was an actual sweep, but you play three games, you win two of them. You keep doing that consistently. Guess what? You're going to find yourself in the playoffs. You're going to find yourself in the regionals. You're going to find yourself continuing to have success. That is the situation for the Zags, but they got a big one. As we're recording this, we are about six hours away from first pitch between the Zags and Toreros at home at Patterson Baseball Complex in Spokane at 8 p.m. Pacific time on April 6th. This game is going to be on ESPNU. So if you do not have plans this evening and you're listening to the show, find yourself on ESPNU, watch the Zags take on the Toreros, a very, very fun baseball game. These are the two teams that have finished first and second in the WCC in each of the past two seasons, the two best teams in the conference. It is the Gonzaga-St. Mary's matchup. On the baseball side, the Toreros have been a fantastic baseball program for a very long time, dating back to when I was in college, and I was told by one of my buddies who was on the baseball team, hey, come check us out this weekend. And I said, oh, are you going to throw? And he said, no, but San Diego's got a kid named Chris Bryan who you're going to want to see because he's probably going to hit three or four home runs against us. And guess what? He did. And now he plays for the Colorado Rockies and is still doing the same dang thing for them. So very fun, very cool opportunities to get to go out to that complex. If you haven't done so yet and you live in Spokane or the area, highly recommend checking it out. I'm also absolutely going to watch this team play in Portland. So if you are in the Portland area, you want to go see some Zags baseball and you're going to those games, let me know because I'm going to be there and I'm excited to get the chance to check that team out. The Zags had an interesting non-conference season. And I think for anybody who's kind of just now coming into Gonzaga baseball, and you're kind of looking, how have they done? How have they done? You'll be encouraged to see that they are continuing to dominate in the WCC, but you might you might have some concerns if you look at what happened in the non-conference. And I'm here to kind of to 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 take down those concerns a little bit because it's actually somewhat similar. And I don't always love making these comparisons, and I don't know how the baseball staff feels about these comparisons, so I apologize in advance. But the Gonzaga baseball team intentionally scheduled very, very difficult non-conference schedule on the road in tough environments in order to prepare a young team that was missing a lot of star players from the previous year. It's hard to not see the parallels. It's hard to not see how that is similar to what Gonzaga's basketball program did this year with the Texas scheduling, with the Phil Knight Invitational, with Kentucky and Baylor and Alabama and Michigan State. The baseball team did the similar thing. They opened the season in Lubbock, Texas against Texas Tech. 
they got swept. They played them four times. They did not win a single one of those games. 0-4 to start the season. They then got a chance to take on the Buckeyes of Ohio State in Phoenix, won that one in extra innings. And then, whoo, I'm glad that this didn't carry over on the men's basketball side, but they played Grand Canyon for a two-game series and got spanked. They gave up 30 runs in two games to the Lopes of Grand Canyon, a very, very good baseball program, mind you, uh, the Lopes there, but still, wow. Then they played Ohio State again. This time they did not win. Then they played Tennessee. Tennessee is one of the best teams in the entire country from a baseball perspective, and they played them in Knoxville. And it went about as you'd expect. They got swept. They got swept again by the Vols in that one. They split a pair of games against UC Irvine. I know UC Irvine's not a name that stands out to a lot of people from an athletic perspective, but the Big West is a really good baseball conference, and UC Irvine is typically towards the top of that conference. The Zags closed out the non-conference, splitting a pair of games against Minnesota, also on the road all the way out in Minneapolis. So 3-12 and was the record for Gonzaga in the non-conference. But they played a lot of really good teams. And I think outside of getting really badly beat by Grand Canyon in a pair of games where they didn't throw necessarily their top arms, I think, you know, you got to take that a little bit with a grain of salt. But other than that, I think it was a good learning experience. I, I We spoke with Coach Brandon Harmon, the associate head coach of the baseball program, the pitching coach as well, kind of about this schedule a little bit. This was a few months ago. For those of you who want to go check back in your feed and get a preview of the season, but one of the things that he kind of talked about was challenging themselves in the schedule and knowing that, Hey, we're, we're losing, you know, we lost Gabriel Hughes, Tristan Reeling and William Kempner, all three guys who went to the MLB draft. Those were their three starters last year. They lost Brody Jesse as well, who was a high, high end reliever for this team. So they had a lot of players they needed to replace and, and they were very fortunate to get Owen wild back in the mix. Owen wild has been fantastic for them this season. He was just recently named the WCC pitcher of the week because he absolutely shoved against BYU seven innings pitched one earned run, 12 strikeouts against the Cougars. Uh, he's only got a 4.73 ERA on the season again, because he, he played some really tough teams early in the year, uh, two and three on the, on the season, but in 40 innings, he has 53 strikeouts continuing to show that ability to get batter swinging and missing something that was a really big part of the profile for all three of Gonzaga's starters who went into the pros last year. So wild kind of picking up where they left off, but he's got himself some big shoes to fill with all three of those guys gone. And, and quite honestly, at this point in the season, the rest of Gonzaga's starters haven't really stepped up in a significant way. Hopefully as the year goes on, they will start to, to find their groove and be able to pitch a little bit more successfully because that has been kind of a calling card for Gonzaga in the last few years is their, their depth, in their pitching rotation so far we're very early into the year we just haven't really seen that fortunately the hitting has been really really good and that hasn't always been the case for the zags they've usually been a pitching dominant team with a few kind of speedy infielder types and maybe one or two kind of slugger types but they haven't had a lot of that uh, in their history uh, and there's a reason that when you look at the list of the pro zags from a baseball perspective they're mostly arms because that's who they tend to develop the best. That's who they tend to recruit the best. But right now they got six guys hitting over 300 in conference play. Sam Stem is hitting 514 right now with 12 RBI, seven extra base hits. But the star, the star right now, the name outside of Owen Wild, the name to know for Gonzaga baseball right now, Brian Calmer. Brian Calmer is currently hitting 448 in conference play with six RBIs and nine runs scored. That is just in conference play. On the season, he's hitting 398. He has nine home runs, and he has 40 RBIs. Excuse me, he has 31 RBIs. That is 40th in the country. He is top 50 in the country in RBIs, nine home runs, 
first year at Gonzaga, he joined them from as a junior college standout at Wabash Valley Community College, uh, a very, very good baseball community college team. Baseball is a little bit different than basketball in that regard, where they tend to have a lot of really good players play at the junior college level. And you see a lot of them go straight from junior college to the MB or the MLB draft. Uh, whereas Calmer was one of those players who decided to play up and come to the division one level. Gonzaga has picked off a lot of very, very good junior college hitters in the past. I spoke with a baseball reporter shotgun Spratling last year who talked about how Gonzaga's MO is always to go find hitters who I've already have some college experience, either D1, D1 transfers or junior college transfers. Ryan Kelmer being their leading hit, you know, their best hitter right now, nine home runs, top 40 guy in RBIs after coming from a junior college, totally tracks with how Gonzaga supplements and builds their rosters. So for them, not having the pitching depth that they've had historically, they need the bats to come alive more than they have in the past. So far, so good. We'll check out how they do against San Diego. We'll have more updates on the Gonzaga baseball team periodically throughout the season. Always love talking baseball. Very excited to be in that spring season for the Zags. That is going to do it for me today. We got much more coming your way uh, in the next week. We're going to continue to do our transfer portal updates, look at players the Zags may or may not be pursuing in the portal and what they might look like as a fit for the Bulldogs. We're also going to continue our season in review series, talking about every player on Gonzaga's roster, how they did last year, how they did compared to their best and worst case scenarios that we laid out before the season, and of course, what their future looks like. So look for those coming your way next week you can find the podcast wherever you already get podcasts also check us out on youtube if you have not done so yet just search locked on zags go hit that big big red subscribe button we're getting really close to 1500 subscribers so anything you can do to help out there would be very much appreciated all right folks thank you all for listening and go zags